there, Spark. Thank you so much for joining us this beautiful Sunday afternoon. I want to thank Junior and the worship team. Thank you for leading us into worship. And now join me in prayer as we continue our worship through our study of the word. Heavenly Father, God, thank you, Lord, so much for bringing us together today. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word, to direct our hearts towards you. I pray that you'd give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that are open to your word, that you would bind us closer together as you bind us closer to you, and that you would do all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Spark, we are continuing our study of the book of Ephesians, and today our reading comes from Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21. So join me in the reading. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here ends our reading. Uh, The title of our sermon this afternoon is Love, Love, Love. The first thing I ever purchased for Spark before I think we even had a name or knew exactly what it was going to be or how it was going to be was this little box that sometimes some of you might see on our typical Sundays in our space as you walk into the um, sort of introduction welcome desk in the in the opening of Spark's building. Um, You'll see a little box that says all you need is love. Yes, from that great, great Beatles song. And it just starts out with love, love, love. I didn't know what spark was going to be yet. I didn't know who was going to be part of it. But I remember standing in that little shop and saying to Kevin, I want to get this for our church. If we ever have a church someday, I want this to be at the front of that church. Maybe some of you think it sounds a little bit too pithy, or we want to have a big argument of like, yeah, but is that the agape love or what kind of, but I wanted just that great Beatles song at the front, All You Need Is Love, to be that opening starting place. In fact, Spark's five values, love, reputation, reconciliation, rescue, and resurrection, those five values, all of them are formed on that love value, that first one. God's love for us, our love for others, for God as well, and then our love for others. That is how these things were formed at the very beginning. And I think the reason why I wanted that to be the first thing you saw when you came in and have that be Spark's primary value was because of this passage, because of passages like it in the Bible. So let's take a closer look at this portion of the letter to Ephesians. Now, Paul starts that says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Well, what what reason? What is Paul talking about? Why is he kneeling before the Father? 
It's because of everything we've discussed so far. From our very first message on the book of Ephesians talking about being chosen and adopted as sons and daughters of God, being called into God's family, being brought in, um, that all the things that Pastor Omer spoke of regarding family and being connected in Christ, that God is uniting Jews and Gentiles together through Christ, that we are seeing those boundary lines broken down, and that we are destined for adoption as his children. All of those things, those things bring Paul to a place of awe, and he falls down on his knees and prays because of how God is doing this amazing thing in Christ. And then Paul continues to pray that out of God's glorious riches, God will strengthen you, he prays, with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This passage is incredible. And first of all, let's just do a nice shout out for the Trinity that's on display here in this passage of all three persons of God, three in one, acting at that same moment. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I'm a good Trinitarian Christian as we all are, and so I want to make sure we call that out. And that Paul's prayer is that out of that inheritance of God, promised us from the very beginning, and promised us at the beginning of this letter, as Paul has talked about, um, that out of God's glorious riches, that we are strengthened with God's power through his spirit, and Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Now, that is a stunning and amazing statement, that Christ would dwell in us, in our hearts. I think the first time I ever heard about that was at Mount Hermon Redwood Camp when I was a kid um, going, I think it was in fifth grade, and they used that phrase to you to then jump into a book by a little pamphlet book by Robert Boyd Munger, My Heart Christ's Home, where they kind of divide up the rooms of your heart, for lack of a better phrasing, not not the actual chambers, but um, they kind of used the illustration of a heart divided into rooms of a house and said, well, how what do it look like to invite Christ to be at home in all of those areas? And they did little sketches and skits every, every evening around the campfire. I was really struck by that idea as a kid. What would it look like to really allow Christ to dwell and be at home in my heart. And and wasn't that an amazing thing that the God of the universe, the God of everything, would choose to dwell in our hearts, to dwell with us, and how stunning and amazing that was. I, I can't quite fathom it, and I love the idea of being able to continue to invite Christ to be at home in my heart, um, to be with me, um, for me to be with Christ um, as we go. And this is part of Paul's prayer. And then as Paul continues on, he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love, um, in that sort of agape for the Hebrew ahava love, right? That you may have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. That phrase rooted and established in love that this is the foundational point. This is why love is that first primary value of spark. And it's why when when we walk in, I wanted somebody to be sort of struck immediately with this concept of you. we start here with this love, right? We start being rooted and firmly established like a tree soaking its roots down in that 
water and then in that soil that that can't be blown aside. Um, N.T. Wright and Michael Bird in their new book, The New Testament and Its World, they talk about how being Jesus's follower means knowing God as the all-loving, all-powerful Father that we're part of that family. And we put down roots into that love and having that love as the rock-solid foundation for every aspect of one's life. This is what we mean when we talk about sort of like that all you need is love. It's not a pithy saying, it's being rooted and firmly established in this love the Father has for us that's on display through the Son. Uh, Larry Hurtado in his book, Why on Earth Did Anyone Become a Christian in the First Three Centuries, actually talks about this concept of divine love as being unique amongst this Christian movement. Um, and, and I would say unique also amongst the Jewish movement, right? That the concept of a loving God or a God who wanted to be in a loving relationship with us simply did not figure in other pagan religions. Um, this was not, Christians had no competition here. Um, when we talked about a God that loved us so much and that wanted to be loved by us, hearkening back to Israel's my firstborn son, as God says out of Exodus, and that God didn't look upon Israel because they were more numerous or strength, but because God simply loved them, God delivered them. And then that first commandment that God gives in the Shema, right, in the what we say every Sunday and that Jesus said is the number one commandment, hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, that this is very unique in the ancient world, that you would have a God that says, I love you, and I have been, I've been like bringing about a covenant of love with you, and I desire you to love me. But not just that, right? That, that God didn't just seek to love people and seek their love in response. And this is expressed as a central command of the Israelite religion, of the Jewish religion, and distinctly unique and attractive amongst Christians and the early Christians. But even more, this love for God is also expressed in love, in the command that we love other people, that we love and take care of the poor, the hungry, the thirsty, the sick, the imprisoned, even our enemies. We are commanded even to love our enemies. Being firmly rooted and established in this love of Christ. This is the marker of what it is to be a Christian, that we might be in awe and astounded at how wide, how long, how high, and how deep Christ's love really is, even though we'll never understand it. We'll never get close to understanding of this love. This love surpasses knowledge. And also, if you ever want when we're all back in the room for together at some point, go ask Pastor Christi Pastor Omer and, and Christine to show you what they have put on their arms, um, this beautiful, wonderful tattoo that reminds them that when they hug their kids, it is with this full, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love really is. Um, these little symbols of these arrows going through that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge and that we may be filled to the measure of this fullness of God. 
years ago, my sister ran a triathlon. Um, she's amazing, and she does all these crazy, cool, awesome, amazing things. Um, and one of the amazing things she did, she ran the Escape from Alcatraz Triathlon, which required her to get on a boat, on a ferry, and go next to the Alcatraz Island in the middle of San Francisco Bay, leap off of it from the deck of the boat, and then swim to the shore, and then run and bike and finish the race. And she did amazing and was incredible. But the event organizers explained to all the participants that if when you leap from that boat next to the island, you start to swim just for the place where you're supposed to go in order to then start the run and the bike to that shore, that little like marina place, you will be swept out underneath the Golden Gate Bridge towards the Pacific Ocean because the current is so strong. So instead, when you swim, you should aim just a bit left of that, just a bit to the east, so that you'll arrive where you need to go. Well, my sister said she was so afraid of being swept out to the Pacific Ocean that she started just swimming towards the Bay Bridge, just swimming the opposite way completely. This is kind of how I think about trying to understand how wide, how long, how high, how deep Christ's love really is for us. Because it's going to surpass my knowledge. Paul tells us here that I'm never going to understand it, that it's bigger than anything I can understand, but he's still praying that I might start to taste it. That my, my concept and idea as I've read through the Bible and as I think through Christ's teachings and how to follow Christ being firmly rooted and established in that love, that if I try to express the love of God in this world for others through my human frailty, and I aim just what I think is like a reasonable measured amount of good God love, I will be swept away by the ways of this world. That my own sin, the sins of this world, the tendencies towards cancel culture and tribalism and who's in and who's out and who's worthy and who's not worthy and and all of that, that that'll just throw me right out under the bridge. So instead, I have to aim as far left as possible, like I have to aim towards that Bay Bridge in order to maybe, hopefully, arrive at some taste, some minuscule expression of God's great love for us and for others. So I assume as I read the Torah, as I read the biblical scriptures, as I read the Hebrew Bible and the Christian Bible, as I read my text, and as I live in this world, and I interact with people that are easy to love, and I interact with people that are very difficult to love, I assume that my concept of love for others, including for my enemies, is so frail and weak and small compared to Christ's great love, that I'm going to have to try my very best to counter that current within me and in this world to go the other way. So unapologetically, I put on love goggles. I do my very best to say, okay, God, you have promised through this portion of this letter with Ephesians that through the power and strength of your Holy Spirit, you're going to try to help me understand this, even though I never will. So I'm going to ask God that you please give me love for the people in my household, for my family, for my friends, for my community, for the people that are easy to love, for the people that are difficult to love, for my enemies. I'm going to ask that you give me that love for you, God, and for others through your power. And I'm going to put on these love goggles and I'm going to do my best to combat my own nature in this world to find flaws and to find challenges with everyone. And this, these love goggles mean not just a feeling, but it means giant, huge justice actions in this world. It means 
trying to listen, trying to understand, trying to experience, um, trying to understand other people's experiences, they walk through this world, whether it is combating um, anti-Semitism or Islamophobia or racism or the systems of white privilege and supremacy and oppression in this world, that part of this call of Christ and immersing ourselves in the power and strength of Christ is to say that we will we will put on these love goggles, which means that our actions will be different and we're going to fight to decolonize our gospel, to try to understand it, um, to try to express this love of Christ in this world in bigger and grander ways through deliberate actions that are loving and that are about bringing about justice and action in this world. And that is hard to do, but that is what is distinctly and uniquely Christ-like in this, that we can be firmly established in this love of God. And Paul ends with a prayer that I think is the prayer for us as well. Because this can seem impossible, right? But then Paul says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Yes! Christ can do this. Christ can do immeasurably more than all we ask and imagine. Christ can help us understand and start to taste this great love. This isn't about like, I have a really hard test coming up, and so Christ can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. This is specifically in response to this beautiful call of God that brings together all of the people on the earth, that invites all together, that breaks down all of these barriers between one another, that calls us the family of God, that calls us children of God, all of us together, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, all of us together, that Christ pulls us all together in this immeasurable love. And we start to taste a little bit, right? Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us. May all of this be true. Amen. We're going to ask the worship team to come back. And as is our practice at Spark, we are going to celebrate the great love of Christ, Christ's love for us, our love for Christ, and our love for one another by coming to the table. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, lifted it, and said, This is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup, lifted it, and said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Whenever you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. Christ's great love on display for us at this table. Come, the table is open, all are welcome, and please feel free to take communion as you feel led during this worship song. Amen.